Well, if you are an eligible bachelor, you are in the right place today. Okay, you are in the right place today because the topic that we're going to talk about this morning is the woman that you want. Okay, now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, uh, now this is eligible bachelors here, so, so we're thinking uh, somewhere down the road we would like to find the woman of your dreams, right? And uh, maybe you have a, a picture of what that's like or what she would be like or her interests or her skill set, uh, you know, if she's a, you know, maybe some of you are like hardcore snowboarders and, and your ideal woman is the, is the woman that would snowboard with you, you know, the whole way on the double black diamond runs. Or I, I don't know what you have in your mind, but if you're an eligible bachelor, this is the place to be because we are going, Solomon is going to introduce us to the woman that you want, okay? The woman that you want. He's going to tell us what she's like. He's going to tell you what what she looks like. He's going to tell you how to find her. He's going to tell you why this is the woman uh, forsaking all others, right? And, and, and devoting yourself only to her. This is the woman that you want. This, is, this needs to be, in a sense, your first love. Okay? Now, what is this one? And I thought I, I could just go right into the text of Scripture. Obviously, the text will unfold this for you. But I thought I, I'd give you a picture, okay? Can I kind of give you a picture? This is the woman you want. You ready, guys, bachelors? Okay, here, here she is. All right. Anybody want to? Anybody want to? Uh, well, what do you even do with that? Um, so uh, where's David? David? David Gibson's not here. He's teaching next door. Pastor Terry's not here. So like the two people that know. Oh yes, Rusty. Have you had? You're taking some Hebrew, right? You want to give a shot? Get a shot at that. It's wisdom. You want to say? Can you say that for us? That's right. That's right. Hokma. Hokma. Right. That, that's the word for wisdom. So eligible bachelors, the woman of your dreams that I'd love to introduce for you today is Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom, okay? And it's interesting, one of the things the Bible does, especially in the poetic books, is it uses something called personification. And, and if you were like me and slept through your English classes as often as possible, uh, you might need to rediscover some of these terms, uh, as I have, uh, now that I'm regenerate. So, uh, <laughs> but, okay, so, so what is personification? Personification is when a poet or... Um, a work of literature takes something that is inanimate, okay? It's not a real person, but they give it personality. They, they give it personal qualities. They personify it. They make it into a person in order to better communicate in ways that we're likely to remember and, and ways that are more uh, memorable and significant. Personification helps us to, to really see what is the author uh, teaching us about this concept or this particular issue. And so uh, one of the things that Solomon employs, and, and uh, we will see this throughout the book of Proverbs, is Solomon is going to personify two ladies, okay? And, and, and this is not just for the, the young people in the room. You remember this is a book primarily for teenagers, for 20-somethings, for young people. And uh, it is true, we think about bachelors looking for the right woman, but this is actually true for all of us. That there is a choice, Solomon is saying. There is a choice that we all have to make. And it is not ultimately about um, the person that we marry, although Solomon is going to talk about that. In fact, he's going to tell his son, this is the woman you want to avoid, and this is the woman you want to find. Okay, We're going to talk about that. But even before that most important human relationship, Solomon says there is a higher love. There, there is a... There is a woman that you need that is even more important than the woman you marry. Now, you, you picture this. This is a dad, and he's sitting down with his teenagers, and he's like, we're going to talk about girls tonight, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, this is great. And he says, son, there's a lady that you want, and there's a lady that you want to avoid. And you will meet her at every turn of life. You, you will come to her in every decision of life. You, you will see her around every corner in every event from school to work with your friends and your hobbies and entertainment when you're going to the mall. You know, all these things, you will meet these two ladies. And what Solomon says to his boys is, 
at every corner you want to choose Lady Wisdom and you want to avoid Madam Folly. Okay, those are the two women that Solomon is going to introduce to his boys, to his children, in this text here. And you'll see the personification as our text unfolds today. It, it ceases to be, son, just be a wise son. That He goes beyond that, and he turns wisdom into this beautiful, uh, wonderful woman that he hopes his boys will become attracted to and will pursue and will cling to all the days of their life. And in contrast, and we'll see her in a, in a few verses later on, not this morning, but we'll see it later on, there is a woman who looks good, who flatters you with her speech, who is attractive in a worldly way, and yet she will kill you if you go after her. And her name is Madame Folly. And she's everywhere. She's, she's on social media. She's at the football games. She's everywhere a young man can turn. Okay? So with that in mind, let me introduce you today to Lady Wisdom. Th- this woman that all of us need to cling to and follow even before every other love in our life. So if you haven't already done so, turn in your Bible with me, please, to Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to resume our verse-by-verse study of Proverbs. You're just joining us today, or if it's been a few weeks since you've been here, uh, we are working our way verse-by-verse for the book of Proverbs. It is a book written uh, primarily to young people, uh, and it is written from the perspective of a parent. And so it helps those of us that are parents to think, well, what is this parenting thing about? What are we supposed to be doing? It helps us in that way. Uh, but again, if, if you're a teenager, if you're in high school, if you're a young person, this book was written for you. And uh, I would just encourage you to continue, if, you, if you're doing it, to read it, uh, maybe one chapter every day. And if you haven't done that, to start reading it. Because th- this is the one book in the Bible. I mean, we, we understand that... Uh, um, theologians talk about the the usefulness of Scripture, that all Scripture is breathed out by God, right? And it is profitable. So we know all Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. That's true. But this teenagers, this particular book was written for you. It was written with you in mind. And and uh, th- this is this is great, great wisdom for you to gain early on in your life and, and let it set the course for the rest of your days. So we're in Proverbs chapter 3, and we'll pick up the text today in verse uh, 13. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Notice the personification here. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth, and by understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up, and the skies drip with dew. My son... Let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion so that they will be life to your soul and adornment to the neck, to your neck. And then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. And when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Gentlemen, this is Lady Wisdom. And you need to get to know her. You need to find her. You need to seek her. You need to walk with her. Let's look, first of all, at the value and benefits of Lady Wisdom. The value and benefits of Lady Wisdom. Look at verse 13. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. This is interesting because uh, like most young people, and, and again, if you're a teenager, this is real important to get. Like most young people, most young people think that happiness is found in finding the right person. And, uh, you know, we were all there once, right? Those of us that are married, and, and uh, we can remember back to those days. And in fact, there's some of us that are old people that still think that, don't we? You know, we still think, if I could just find, you know, the, the right person and, and uh, uh, that sort of thing. And, and so we see, especially in those teenage years and those early college days, uh, th- this... This um, pursuit to find the right person. 
uh, a dating relationship, a marriage relationship, uh, a best friend. And, and you know, Solomon uh, dials into that reality and he recognizes that his boys are real interested in some of the lady friends they have running around. And they're, they're looking for the right person. And Solomon says, you know what, you're right. Happiness is found in finding the right person. But it's not a girl. It's lady wisdom. Do you see that? Happiness is not found in a relationship. Happiness is not found in a person. It's found in lady wisdom. Now look at verse 13. How blessed is the man. That word blessed means happy. It's one of the normal words for happy. So he's saying happiness is found in wisdom and understanding. Of course, uh, wisdom is our word hokmah there. That's the most common word we see here. Uh, that is uh, really the theme of this book. Understanding is one of the parallels. It means skill. It means discernment. And happiness is found, according to Solomon here, in wisdom, not in a human relationship. Now, now think about that for a minute. How many people are looking for happiness in all the wrong places? And they meet that person? And they go out on that first date, or or maybe maybe it goes all the way to a marriage relationship, and, and they have um, inappropriately idolized that person. They have turned, as as David Pallison says, one of God God's good gifts into a god. And now, as they have put all of their pursuit of happiness in that relationship, and they find out that hey, this person isn't perfect. They don't always understand. My needs, we don't always communicate, right? Sometimes we fight and quarrel and, and, and you know, it's like, man, you know, th- th- this is not what I signed up for. So what do over 50% of the people, married people in our country do at that point? They go find somebody else. And they think, oh, here's the right person now, right? Here, and what it is, it's, it's a fundamental breakdown of what Solomon is trying to help his boys to see here. Happiness is not found ultimately in a relationship. It's found in wisdom. And how do we know wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, so by using wisdom as a link, what he is telling his children is that happiness is only found in this relationship with your God. That's where happiness is found. And, and, and young people, teenagers, the, the sooner you will really buy into this, I can't tell you the heartache that you will avoid. Make your pursuit of happiness, make, make the object, the, the, the thing that you're looking to that will really make you happy. No person can do that. No sport can do that. No vocation can do that. No, no perfect job can do that. No achievement can do that. Only God can do that as you look to Him alone as your satisfaction and as you come to know His wisdom as only He can reveal to you. That's what he's saying here. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom. Happiness is only found in the wisdom and relationship that God brings. Now notice, secondly, the payoff of wisdom is better than silver and gold. So so if there's two things that your average teenager is interested in, it's relationships with the opposite sex and money. Talk to me, parents. Am I right? Is that about how it goes? And what Solomon, he's going for the jugular right out of the gate. You see that? It's not girls and it's not money. Because, look what it says. It says uh, in verse uh, 14, for her profit. Notice, here's where the personification happens. Okay, it's not just wisdom, this abstract concept. It's wisdom personified as this woman. The woman that you do want to know and pursue. Her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. In fact, he's going to go on to say she is even more valuable than jewels. And you think about at, at, the, uh, at the time that Solomon is writing this in the ninth uh, century, somewhere in that, that time, B.C., um, what what would be the most absolutely valuable things you could find? Like today, like teenagers, you would say today, 
uh, it would be like um, you just totally filling up your bank account, right? You know, you look at your bank account and it's just, it's got so many zeros that you can hardly count them, right? You say that that would be the most valuable monetary compensation I would have with a bank account with lots of zeros on it. Well, in this day, of course, they didn't have debit cards. So what would be a sign of wonderful financial gain? Gold, silver, precious stones, right? And that's, that's exactly what he says here. He says wisdom's profit, what, what she yields, what she produces is better than silver, it's better than gold, it's better than jewels. So, so, so young person, let, let, me, let me translate this into your culture for a minute. What he's saying is what this woman will bring you, lady wisdom, is more valuable than if you looked at your checking account this afternoon and there were so many zeros, you had to start, you know, check marking them so you could add them all up. Can you imagine having that much money? And what Solomon is arguing here is there is something that is more valuable than that. There is something more valuable than all the money you could possibly imagine. And it's what wisdom produces. Okay, now, now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but I can't use wisdom to buy my next video game. So how does that work, right? So we'll get, we'll get there, okay? I know there's lots of practical questions yet, but just know right here, Lady Wisdom is better than silver. She's better than gold. She is more valuable than jewels. In fact, look at this. Look, look back at verse 15. She is more valuable. She's more precious than jewels. And, and then you're going to read this, and you're probably going to, like I did, you're probably going to miss it the first time, okay? So look at it real closely. The second part of 15. And nothing you desire compares with her. Did you get it? Okay, look up for a second. What he's arguing is, there is nothing you can possibly imagine in this world that is more valuable than having wisdom. Now, th- this is how you need to read your Bible when you get to a verse like that. Because sometimes we read read our Bible we, and we read that and we go, oh yeah, that's cool, right. Yeah, wisdom's better than everything. Got it. And, and then, you know, the, the next ad on the TV comes on for the, the new truck and you're drooling on your couch because you want that new truck, right? So you got to stop and, and, and just what are the things that you think about, that you want, that you desire? What, what are the things in this world that you are attracted to? And you need to do a little meditative exercise and think, what are those things am I prone to say, oh, I need that, I want that? Know yourself in, in, in reading this verse and say, what are those things? I want all my children to walk with the Lord. I want a happy relationship with my spouse. I want a job that has this many hours and pays this much. Uh, and all sorts of material. You know, what, is it, what is it that you find yourself saying, if only I had this? Okay, you there? And Solomon is saying, whatever that is, wisdom is more valuable than that. That's what he's saying. And teenagers, you, you, you have a picture that comes into your mind when you think, well, what is that? Is it a car? Is it an airplane? Is it sports? What is it? And he says, she is more valuable than anything in life you could ever desire. That, 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 that is a huge statement. And, and now, I, I know, because I was a teenager once. You read that and you go, okay, prove it. Right? And God's going to prove it. That's exactly what he's going to do. Because he is not going to just say, well, just take my word for it. He's going to answer the why question. Why is Lady Wisdom, why is having a relationship with this woman called Wisdom more valuable than anything else in life you could ever desire? Playing professional sports. Is there something more valuable even than that? Gentlemen? Back row teenage gentleman? Well, there is. But don't take my word for it. And Solomon says, don't even take his word for it. Why is lady wisdom more valuable, literally, than anything else you could possibly imagine? Well, let's look back at the text. Look at verse 16. 
long life is in her right hand. And in her left hand are riches and honor. You, you notice right hand, left hand. Okay? When you come to her, you gain things. Listen, you gain things that you cannot buy with any other means. You can't buy long life. But the one who fears the Lord, God says, I will bless you with long life. That's what he says here. He says in the end of 16, in her left hand are riches and honor. So so here's, here, here's the paradox, okay? God is saying through Solomon to young people, don't make the pursuit of riches your only end, your ultimate end. Make the pursuit of God and the wisdom that he has for you your ultimate pursuit. But when you make God your ultimate pursuit, what does Jesus say? And all these things will be added unto you. Right? Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom, seek first his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We back up in the text a little bit to the, the worry portion, remember? Do not worry about your life, what we will eat or what we will drink or what we will wear. Uh, you know, life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. And, and he goes on to say, you know, your heavenly father has got this. He's going to take care of you. He's going to give you what you need. And, and have you noticed, we, we say that a lot. God gives us what we need. I think every single one of us could put our hands up right now and say, you know what, God has not only supplied my needs, he has supplied exponentially more. Hasn't he? Do you enjoy anything in your life that you don't really need, but God says, eh, I'm just going to do this because I love him. Boop, and there you go. And you and I have dozens and dozens of relationships, of things, of immaterial blessings that we don't deserve. It's way beyond our, our basic needs. And God, as we read in our psalm this morning, a compassionate father who loves to get, loves to give good gifts to his children. That's what he, just, just like you parents do, right? You know, my, my, uh, my son doesn't need a new bike, but he sure like one. I can see the smile on his face on Christmas morning. And what do we do as parents? We do it because there's delight that we gain as parents in seeing delight in our children enjoy the good gifts that we give them. And that's what God does. He knows how to give good gifts to his children. So, so it's not just that he's supplying our needs. He's supplied so much more. And what Solomon is saying is, if you seek the gift as an ultimate end, it will fail you. But if you seek the giver of the gift as the ultimate end, not only will you have satisfaction in him, you will have all these other things that he wants to give you as well. Okay? Now, we understand that comes in, in uh, th- through the wise hand of God's own particular providence, that we don't all have the same things or the same relationships or the same blessings. But we do know that whatever we do have, uh, those things have come from God. And we know that those things have been tailor-made for our situation and for the exact needs that we have in that moment. So, young person, why should you make Lady Wisdom your end? Why should you make a pursuit of God more uh, more valuable? Why, why should you make that more of a passion of your life than sports or cars or relationship or job success or friends or relationship with the opposite sex? Why should you do that? Because only God can bring you these things. Only he can bring you long life, riches, and honor. Notice this also. Following her brings delight and peace. Look at verse 17. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. I I don't know, and and you guys that that follow social media, or even if you just watch watch the news, um, teenagers, have you noticed how many people are messing up their lives? Have you noticed that? Uh, people your age, people your age are making astronomically stupid decisions and they are paying for them for the rest of their life. 
They make bad decisions with their time. They make bad decisions about their money. They make bad decisions about their relationships. They make bad decisions about addiction issues. They make bad decisions about getting ahead in sports or school. They make bad decisions about friends. They make bad decisions about entertainment and hobbies. Have you noticed this? Most people your age around you are making horrible decisions. And my question is, how are you going to avoid doing that? Okay. Well, I think Solomon tells us, if you look back at 16, it says, or 17, her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. Imagine a life characterized not by the calamity of most of your peers, but by peace. And, and, and uh, you know, this goes back to the Ten Commandments and repeated in, in Ephesians chapter 6 to children. You know, honor your father and mother so it may go well with you. Right? That's where it starts. Honoring your parents is the first way that you manifest this, and it, God says, will go well with you. But you see, if you make God your ultimate pursuit, and if you go after Him and strive for wisdom, rather than from all the other foolish pursuits of your peers, God says one of the benefits of that is you're going to have peace in your life, and all your friends are going to be frantically looking for it in a thousand different ways, and finding disappointment and hurt and destruction at the end of every one of those dead-end roads. You can be 16 and have the peace that the Bible is talking about here if you will make Lady Wisdom your primary relationship. And notice also, not just peace, but the beginning of verse 17, her ways are pleasant ways. You know what that means? This is an enjoyable pursuit. You think, well, Pastor Keith, if if I do what you're telling me to do, I'm never going to have any fun in my life, right? My friends are going to be out having a great time, at least for a little while, and I'm going to be stuck trying to do church stuff. That's not what the Bible says. And again, argue with the text. The te- don't, don't, again, don't take my word for it. Look at 17. Her ways are pleasant ways. That means the ways of Lady Wisdom bring you delight. They bring you enjoyment. That, that, that what seems like the ways that bring happiness are actually illusion. They're, they're, it's actually deception. You'll be happy for a little while, and then you'll be filled with guilt and regret. But if you do it God's way first, even though it may not seem like the most exciting thing to do, try it. Do what Solomon says here. Make God your ultimate end. And it says here, He will bring you pleasant ways. Ways of delight, delight and peace. Notice also, why is Lady Wisdom valuable than any other pursuit? That's a worthwhile question. Look at this, verse 18. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Now, by context, we understand that the life of that uh, is being referenced here in 18, the tree of life, and, and let me just, old people, be quiet for a minute. Um, young people, where do we see the tree of life show up in the Bible? Talk to me. What's, Max, where is it? In Revelation, okay, that's one end, and where's the other place we see it? What's that? Young people. I want someone under 25 to answer this question. Okay? Now, some of you, well, I'm in my 60s and I'm young. Okay, that's, we'll talk later on. Um, okay, talk to me. Thank you. Genesis chapter 2, the tree of life. And, and what does God say happens to the person that eats from the tree of life? They eat and live forever. And that's why we see it showing up again in the book of Revelation. Max is absolutely right. Because in the book of Revelation, believers come around the tree of life. And, and that, that symbolizes the fact that they are in eternity with the Lord at that point. So, so, okay, so with that in mind, go back to the text. It says here, she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. What's he saying? You cannot live eternally in the presence of the Lord. You cannot have eternal life without a relationship with this woman, Lady Wisdom. You cannot know eternal life apart from 
your relationship with the Lord who gives this wisdom, is what he's saying. So, so young person, this is so important that you understand this. There are all these pursuits, there are all these things you can wrap your life around, and those are, those are, many of those are God's good gifts, and we're thankful for that. But there is only one pursuit that will bring you into a relationship that will last eternally in the presence of the Lord. And that's the tree of life. And where is the tree of life found, according to this? She is the tree of life. Lady Wisdom is the tree of life. Knowing her, coming into relationship through the person and work of the Lord Jesus, we see that. Long, um, she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Now, now notice verse 18, uh, and again, teenager, if you've grown up in the church, you've got to recognize this, okay? Just because you can have eternal life through the personal work of Jesus Christ as personified through Lady Wisdom here, we understand that, just because you have eternal life does not mean that is automatically true for you. What does this verse say you have to do to have this eternal life? What's it say? You have to, you have to take hold of her, right? You, ha- you know what that means? Just because you've grown up in the church, just because you know a lot of verses, just because you, you've got plaques all over your wall from Awana, does not mean you're a Christian. It does not mean you're a Christian. You have to, and this is, this is that stage in life where this becomes really, really important. You're, if, if you're a young adult, you are learning to make choices for yourself, right? Your parents, uh, are not intending for you to stay in their home for the rest of their lives. They want to send you away in the near future. Okay, And when they do that, they want for you to be mature and responsible so that you can make godly choices on your own. And what's happening right now is you have to decide something that Mr. and Mrs. Slaughter probably tell you guys every week. Is your faith going to be your faith? Or just your parents' faith. And you cannot ride on the heels of your parents' faith into eternal life. That's what this is saying. You have to take hold of eternal life for yourself. As a young adult, you have to say, I trust in Christ because I believe that He is the Son of God and He lived and died in my place and He is the only way to eternal life. I believe that. I commit to that. I'm taking up my cross and following Him. You have to make that decision for yourself. It's not automatic just because you grew up in a church or in a godly family. Notice also, verse 18, in case you missed it, notice the bookends. It started with happiness is found in her, and it concludes with happiness is found in her. We see it here. Happy are all who hold her fast. What does that mean? As long as you cling to her, as long as you stay with Lady Wisdom, as long as you walk hand in hand with her, you will enjoy the happiness and blessing that God has for you. That's what it's saying. Okay, It starts with happiness. It ends with happiness. That's a good reason. Good reasons to make Lady Wisdom your ultimate pursuit, the value and benefits of Lady Wisdom. Now, why, again, is Lady Wisdom so valuable? Why is wisdom so valuable? We've seen this already, but the... the uh, Solomon is going to reiterate this for his children again because God is the source of wisdom. Okay, look at this. Verse 19. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth, and by understanding he established the heavens. And, and this, is, this is really, really amazing. We understand that we were made to image God, right? That's what Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says. God makes people in his image and likeness. So, so we're supposed to reflect and be like God in certain ways. We're called to be like God in his character. We're like, we're be called to like God in terms of his works. When God gives us the stewardship over creation, for example, uh, we're to be like God in relationships as we relate to one another. We love our neighbor, uh, as the second commandment, but we love God first as our primary commandment, right? So there's a relational dimension to that. But I want you to see this. When you grow in wisdom, you are tapping into a characteristic that is unique to God himself. And so again, you can be 16 and have something of a reflection of the wisdom of God himself in your life. 
I mean, who would not want to sign up for that? Can you believe that? And, and that's why, you remember what David says in Psalm 119? He says, I have more insight than all my teachers. I understand more than the aged. We say, well, that's just a, you know, arrogant little teenage shepherd boy, right? Mouthing off, right? That's not, that's not what he's doing. David, or, um, the, the psalmist is saying at that point that it's possible for a young person to be more spiritually mature and more wise than a person twice his or her age if they make lady wisdom the pursuit of life. So this is really interesting. The Lord by wisdom... You think about that. How did God create the heavens and the earth? Wouldn't you like to see the schematic? Wouldn't you like to see the, the storyboard of how it all worked? And, the, and, and again, I, I, my head explodes trying to, to think about what was it... I mean, it, he makes it look so easy. Let there be light. Boom! And the whole electromagnetic spectrum comes into existence. Can you believe that? How does he do that? And the Bible tells us he's omnipotent. He has unlimited power. He's omniscient. He knows all things. But notice what it says here. He's all wise. He created the heavens and the earth. And, and that's, a, that's a Hebrew way of saying the whole universe. He did it out of wisdom, out of the, the, the depths of his knowledge, of his skill applied to this thing called creation. Now, no, notice, I, I put this up here uh, you, so I can explain it to you, and it's also in your notes. Uh, the, the word order here is interesting, and I was um, I was talking to one of my kids, um, was it you, Alan, or your sister, um, about how the Bible will change the word order of certain lines in order for it to do emphasis. Now, now English poetry does the same thing, right? But in Hebrew poetry, this is how that, that line looks. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth, and he established the heavens by understanding. And the two bold or the three bold-faced items there are the items that take emphasis. The first item, the Lord, is emphasis because it's set apart from the structure of the verse itself. And that makes sense. It's only the Lord that does this. No one else speaks ex nihilio, creation out of nothing, right? But notice also the two elements there. He founded the earth. He established the heavens. We've seen this, this sort of chiastic structure before. And what he's saying is God made the whole universe. He spoke the whole universe into existence. And we go, how did he do that? He did it out of wisdom. Now, young person, would you like to have a few grains of that wisdom. That, that, that's the enticement of this verse. That's what Solomon is saying. You can have something of the wisdom of God. Not at that scale, not at that magnitude. You're not going to you know, go off and create the universe next door or anything. But you can know something of the ways of God, even as a young person. Now, now watch how this works. By his knowledge, the hydrological cycle comes into being. I love this. Look at verse 20. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies drip with dew. So, so of everything that God makes, and, and again, that, see, we're, we're, we're so limited in understanding. He says, create the heavens and the earth, the whole universe. And we go, okay. And so Solomon, being very wise, says, well, let me give you one example. Okay, because we, we, we get, you, you almost, there's so many examples, it kind of brings your brain to a halt. So, so Solomon picks one example and says, son, let, let me just, can I just talk to you about one of these things? It was by his knowledge, his wisdom, that all the waters of the deep were broken up. And it's by his knowledge, his wisdom, that dew, or the word can actually be translated rain, comes down. So he's describing the hydrological cycle. Now, I know I'm going fourth grade science on you here, but watch this. Okay? You remember that? Okay? You remember how this works? You've got all the water down here, and it condenses, or it evaporates into the atmosphere. It condenses into clouds, and then it rains, right? Then it flows back, and it evaporates. It condenses. It precipitates, Okay? And uh, there's lots of really fun words up here. Evapotranspiration. Isn't that a great word? All right. Um, anyway, uh, sublimation. You know, that's where it goes right from solid to gas that skips the liquid stage. You remember that? Okay. Anyway, but um, the, the hydrological cycle. Now, let, let me, because 
the Bible doesn't always use technical, precise, scientific language. Uh, we need to kind of say, well, what does that mean? Now, by the way, just a footnote. There are people that think that the Bible is wrong scientifically. You ready for this? Because it does not use modern 21st century scientific language. Isn't that arrogant? We want you to conform to our 21st century vocabulary, and then we'll believe you. Okay? No, no, no. no. That's not how it works. We need to submit to God's word, because he was the first one to say it, and in fact, he invented the thing. So so let me just show you this, okay? A couple of words. Do you see here, um, circled here, the groundwater flow? The word deeps that you see in your Bible there, the word deeps, it refers to underground water, okay? And that's where we get a lot of our fresh water. Obviously, the oceans are full of salt water, so that's that's non-useful water uh, for most of us for drinking and whatnot. So we get most of the useful water, the usable water, from underground water sources or from things like rivers and streams that are fresh water, surface water. Okay, so when the Bible talks about the deeps and the source of the deeps, it's talking about groundwater. Okay, now we also see the word dew, and that's describing what we would think of as precipitation, the rain, uh, the actual dew that condenses on a cooler morning, things like that. Okay, so there's the hydrological cycle. Now, now, just just for fun, because again, we're liable to read this and think, oh yeah, I learned that in third grade. Great. Why are we talking about this again? Okay, how much water is there in the earth? Yeah, I didn't know either. I had to look it up. Um, 332.5 million cubic miles. That's a big cube. Or, here's an easier way to do it. If you were to create a sphere, okay, a ball, that was constituting all the water in the earth, okay, oceans, underwater, atmospheric water, water vapor, every molecule of water present on the earth in some form, okay, you would have a sphere that starts in Salt Lake City and extends to Topeka, Kansas, 840 miles in diameter. Okay? That's a lot of water. That's a lot of water. And, and you know, if, if the numbers aren't adding up, remember, four-thirds pi r cubed gives you volume, okay? So just do that and the math all works out. Okay? So one cubic mile, one cubic mile is 1.1 trillion gallons. Is your head exploding yet? Welcome to big numbers in Sunday school class. No, notice, I, I, I spared you. I did not. I, I, I resisted the urge to go scientific notation on you. Okay, so, so, that's good. And yet, listen, listen to this. You don't need to turn it. Just, just listen. In light of that vast number that's in our mind, just listen to Psalm 104, verse 10. Ready? God sends forth springs in the valleys. They flow between the mountains. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkey quenched their thirst. What's he saying? Of all of that water in the whole hydrological cycle, God just said, let there be a hydrological cycle. And there was a hydrological cycle. And this whole thing runs all 3.3, uh, 332.5 million Cubic miles of water all operating every day. We don't even think about it, right? We just go turn the faucet on and it works. And Psalm 104 says, and God runs the whole thing. He runs the whole thing. He runs it, Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 tells us, by the word of his power. And what, what Psalm 104 says is not just run God, God runs it all abstractly, he runs it in a way that he is mindful of the watering of every animal in his creation. That's the picture of Psalm 104. So it's not like, you know, God's just the man behind the curtain pulling all the levers and all, hitting all the switches. It's like, it's like he's bringing a bowl of water to that cattle up on that hill somewhere and saying, yep, satisfied for the day. Do you believe that? How did he do that? By wisdom. By wisdom. And God says, you can have grains of this wisdom, even at 15, even at 16, even at 17, even at 65 or 70. Why wouldn't we want this? (laughs) It's, it's, It's such a great 
benefit that we can have to know this lady wisdom. Okay? Now, what's he going to say? Verse 21, in light of that, my son. Here's that wonderful, that wonderful personal invitation, my son. Let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom. And, and, and again, young person, we, we know this. We know you're going to hear this. And in three minutes, you're going to be thinking about what you're going to have for lunch this afternoon. You're going to be thinking about, you know, the final four coming up. I mean, we, we know that, that's what we all do. It's not, I'm not picking on you. We hear, wow, we can have the wisdom of God. Well, maybe I'll go to Chipotle today. You know, and that, that's, that's what we are prone to do. So what does this wise father say? He, you can see him almost pulling his son's shoulders gently to look him in the eye. And he says, son, don't forget these things. Don't let them become, actually literally it says, don't let them become distant from you. Keep them near you. Keep them close to you. Hang on to them. Because if you forget these things, if you forget that this is the pursuit you can have, what are you going to do instead? You're going to forget that and you're going to go after all the other things that teenagers go after. So keep wisdom close to you. Keep these things close to you. And you know, it doesn't have to be science. Think of whatever aspect of creation that God has made from wisdom that is attractive or interesting to you. And study that. Think about that. Learn about that and say, this is my God. And he did those things because he's wise. And he offers some of that wisdom to me. So don't let these truths uh, leave. Hang on to them. Go after them. And finally, remember the benefits. Again, Solomon is saying, Son, don't take my word for it. Remember what you have. Remember what is possible for you to have if you do this. You will have, look at this says here in verse 22, so they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. There is life to your soul. What does that mean? You can have eternal life, spiritual life in your soul, in your heart of hearts, in this relationship that we're talking about. You can have favor around your neck. We saw that a few uh, Sundays ago. Remember, that that's when you, young person, when you become a man or woman of wisdom, you gain a reputation of being a responsible person of integrity. And that's what Solomon is saying here. That benefits you. That reputation is going to take you places. It's going to help you in life. Notice here, a secure and smooth life. Uh, you remember when Jesus, uh, teenagers, told the story about the, the, the builders? There was the guy that built his house on the sand, and there was the guy that built his house on the rock. Remember that from Matthew chapter 7? Um, and then the, what we call the, the storms of life come, right? And, and the house that's on the sand falls, and the house that is on the rock stands. Do you know what Jesus is saying? If you build your life on hearing the word of God and obeying it, you will have spiritual stability. That doesn't mean you never have problems. doesn't mean you never have trials. It means you will weather every storm because your life is founded upon the rock of hearing the word of God and being a doer of the word of God. And that is something of the benefit of wisdom here. A secure and smooth life. I mean, you would say here, do you want a rocky, but do you want a life like Clifton Road? You know, you're, you're driving your, your car down there. Or do you want a life of smooth pavement? The Bible says turn to wisdom. Notice this also. Freedom from anxiety. You know why young people turn to alcohol and drugs? They turn to sex and ungodly entertainment and all sorts of, of ungodly pursuits. Some of the reasons they do that is they're dealing with hard things and they don't know how to deal with them. Their, their, their parents have a horrible relationship. Their friends have attempted suicide. They... Um, uh, hurtful things, bullying, getting kicked off of teams, breakups in relationships, all of these things weigh down. And that's why so many things happen that teenagers turn to these, they, they turn to these 
unhelpful ways to try to deal with anxiety. And, and Solomon says in verse 24, when you lie down, if you have wisdom, you'll not be afraid. And, and we old people know, being more seasoned in life, we know what this is like, right? You lay down and you're worried about money, you're worrying about relationships, you're worrying about your job, you're worrying about your children, you're worrying about um, the latest incident, the latest accident, the latest health issue. You lay down and it's like your mind spools up, right? And, and the worry machine starts. And Solomon says, you know what? If you come to know wisdom in the Lord and rest in Him, you put your head on the pillow and you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because everything goes well? No. Because your God is in control of those things and you can trust Him. And what's the result? You sleep. Some of us old people probably need to hear this too. When we're caught up in anxiety and worry and fear and we can't sleep and we're struggling and the problems aren't going away, maybe the problem is we have forgotten a relationship with Lady Wisdom. Maybe we have left our first love in that regard and we're pursuing all these other things to try to bring relief. And God says, will you come to me? Will you know my wisdom? Will you walk with Lady Wisdom hand in hand? And as we trust him, as Jesus says, as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these other things will be added unto you. He's got it. He's taking care today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. We just trust him and know that he will take care of our needs. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, not just being the wise God that you are, but thank you for offering some of that wisdom, even in a finite human form, uh, that we can know something of your wisdom as we grow in relationship with you. Father, I pray for the young people here that they would have one woman in their life. They would have one relationship, first and foremost, and that is Lady Wisdom, that they would walk with her, that they would know her, that they would pursue her. And as they walk hand in hand with her, that they will enjoy the benefits and the joys and the satisfaction and the happiness and the blessing of having a relationship with the Lord at their right hand. Lord, I pray for those of us that are older. Uh, some of us have made mistakes that um, we see reflected in what we've read today. And Lord, I pray that if we've left our first love, if we've turned away from a relationship with God in terms of the wisdom that we're pursuing or in the way that we're dealing with life, we know that repentance is a, a one-step turning back process. And that when we turn to you, we will find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for guiding us as a caring father. Would you help us all to walk and to grow in your wisdom? In Christ's name, amen.